0: Welcome to a day of prayer. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Together, let's engage in relationship with Christ through prayer, faith, and his word. Alright, so this morning I'm being led to discuss time. Time. And our role in, in that time. Um, in John 4, verse 34, Jesus says, or it begins, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to accomplish his work. Do you not say, there are yet four months, and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes, and look on the fields, that they are white for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages, and is gathering fruit for life eternal, so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap. That for which you have not labored, others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. And the Lord's, well, been discussing with me and has having me speak on time and our relationship with it, because even in that instance, what the Lord is saying, we oftentimes, out of our own flesh, have been incorrect view of the time and the season that we're in, because it only comes from the Lord. He's set things in motion. He's already predetermined, and that's exactly what we see in Ecclesiastes 3. So if everyone would like to turn there, and we can read this together, it'll be the first eight verses. Give me an amen when you get there. Yes, Ecclesiastes 3. All right. It begins There is an appointed time for everything, and there is a time for every event under heaven a time to give birth, and a time to die, a time to plant a time to uproot what has been planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to throw stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to shun embracing, a time to search and a time to give up as lost, a time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear apart and a time to sew together. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. And in verse 11, it gives the, I'll say, explanation of this. He has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also set eternity in their heart. So that man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning, even to the end. And then, in verse 16 and 17, we need to cover that as well. It says, Furthermore, I have seen under the sun that in the place of justice there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness there is wickedness. And I said to myself, God will judge both the righteous man and the wicked man for a time for every matter and for every deed. Is there? I bring that up because, well, that's how I was led, but there is is very clear, very definitive. There is a time for everything, or everything, He has made everything suited to its time. But then also, both justice righteousness and wickedness wickedness excuse me exist in the same place in spite of that there is a right time for every intention and action as it pertains to us and our role and what we are to do Ephesians 2:10 tells us that we are his workmanship, created to do or predestined for great works. All right? He's, he's appointed these things from the beginning. If we look at both what Ecclesiastes and what Ephesians is saying. And we can see that from the beginning. So if you could please turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. Uh, We're going to start in verse 3. Right? So, again, as I was saying, he's appointed a time for everything. Which, if we look at it, right, verse 17 in Ecclesiastes 3 and Ecclesiastes 3, chapter 1, the thought comes full circle. Right? There is an appointed time for everything and a time for every event under heaven. Jesus was always aware of the time, right? He would tell people during his earthly ministry, it's not my time, or the time is now, right? He was always aware of the time, which is the Lord's perfect time, which is under the Lord's will, which is exactly what we read initially in John chapter four, right? So, As we continue with Genesis 1, verse 3, we find the first recorded words, spoken words of the Lord, which says, let there be light, right? And God said, let there be light, and there was light, and he saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness, called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning one day, or the first day. And then, as we continue through creation, right, and I'll I'll let you guys read it on your own, but I want to make a couple points here in this. And the first is, uh, he also, he created the expanse in the heavens on the second day. The third day, what's created? Dry land appears, Right? and the seas and then vegetation and fruit trees and every other earth bearing fruit after their kind the third day and then what happens on the fourth day? No. On the fourth day he created the sun and the moon but there was already light Everybody, see that on day four, right? He created, he made the two great lights the greater light or the sun to govern or rule the day, and the lesser light to govern or rule the night. And he made the stars also, which uh, is incredible because the first thing he says is, Let there be light, but yet the things that we know naturally know to produce light didn't come till later. Does everybody get that? Is this significant? But it, it confirms exactly what Jesus says in John 8, 12, right? He says, I am the light of the world. He's talking about himself. He already existed. He was stating or confirming or acknowledging, whichever way you want to phrase it, himself and who he is. And he says the same thing in John 9, 5, Jesus does, in his earthly ministry. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And then, clearly the Apostle John, disciple later to be Apostle John, grasped this. Because how does he begin his first gospel? In the beginning, this is John 1, the gospel of John. Chapter 1, verse 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it so he first discusses himself but then i love i love this as we go through genesis right so i hope everyone still got their place there <laughs> if not I'll, I'll give you a minute to get back there right and it's significant because the Lord created these things and he says what? After every time he created something, it is good. Or, translated is, it was suitable for its purpose. Which is significant. And what is its purpose? The purpose it was created for was to be to follow or be willing to be obedient to what the Lord had created it for to do the works the Lord had called it to do right and and we see this and I love this this pattern that is we see here and it's established throughout the entirety of the word one of the patterns of the Lord if you will we see he created everything all right John acknowledges everything came that came into being was created or came through him right So we see he had already created it and he had already provided life to it and then appoints the sun and the moon to rule, which, as we know, has been doing since the beginning, since he created it. It has been operating and doing what it was intended and purposed and created to do faithfully all this time. All right? But then let's also recognize something because you see the pattern again played out on day five what does the lord do he creates every fish of the sea and animals and birds and and every creeping crawling thing right and then on day six he says let us create man in our image but then he also gives the purpose of man or the command if you will which was to rule over everything on the earth. To rule. Do we see the pattern again played out? Everything is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and he grants, gives us the sun, the moon, right? He gives us the ability, the authority to rule over part of what he has created. Is, Is everybody following me? Okay. Now there is of course the issue because as we know while he appointed man to rule we forfeited that as in through Adam right? Sin entered the world. So we also see what was said in Ecclesiastes 3:16 and 17, right, Justice, righteousness and wickedness were all in the same place. It fulfilled itself right there in the garden that the Lord created. There was disobedience. As a result of that disobedience, sin happened, right? Sin entered the world, and then as a result, we're now born into sin. But here's the thing in Romans 520 and 21 it says where sin is increased grace abounds all the more And it says as sin reigned in death even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ so it has we, we have to ask ourselves when we look at this all right He's appointed us to, to rule, to subdue the earth, right? Th- those are parts of our role. But we have to ask ourselves, what is our role now? Right? Jesus, in his earthly ministry, had, there was always an appointed time for, as it says, for every good work. And he was always aware of the timing of the Lord and what he was supposed to do in that timing. Right? Right? Everybody tracking so far? Okay. And I, and I will tell you that at this time, as we look at society and everything that is going on in the earth, right? There are many that, when they look, they see a lot of wickedness. They see a lot of evil things or things that are attack- that seem to be attacking them or infringing on their their faith, their thoughts, their beliefs, their just everything going on in life, right? They seem like it's a it's a constant, it seems to them, I should say, excuse me, that it's a constant battle. So we must stand. Right? Colossians 1, 21 and twenty-three tells us he he reconciled you through death to present you holy blameless and beyond reproach. And then we could almost I'll say put a couple dots, right? Because there's here's the condition. If you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast. Alright, Ephesians six ten through eleven tells us to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, so that you will be able to Stand firm against the schemes of the devil. So, how do we stand? Because, right, we were just discussing how it's easy to get caught up looking at society and what's going on and legislation and all these other things that definitely impact or have the ability or opportunity to impact our our lives, right? And just the, the day to day life. So, how do we stand? Is it by protesting and marching? Is it by using the Bible to point out every fault, flaw, and sin that we see or are able to recognize or that's been revealed to us through the Holy Spirit? Maybe. But how did Christ approach? How did Christ conduct himself? He was always led by the Spirit. He wouldn't say or wouldn't do anything except what the Holy Spirit let him. Or as as we read in John 4, my desire is to do the will of him who sent me. So let's also remember that while we can do those things or do them as the Lord leads, it is the goodness of God that draws men to repentance. It's not about... uh, as has been said, Bible mocking or bashing people over the head with the word, right? It's about showing people the love of God. So uh, I want to give just a few just basic things that we should recognize or be able to stand and walk in, right, to help us stand. And again, as I said, it's the goodness of God or it's the love of God that draws men to repentance. So the first thing is love, Well, what does that look like? It looks awful like the two greatest commandments, does it not? And the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, body, soul, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All right, that's exactly what what, uh, Jesus said when asked what the two greatest commandments were. But then how does that pertain to us? Okay, well, we know that love covers a multitude of sins. Yep, we do. But how do we walk in that? Well, the answer is given in John 15. And actually, really, the entirety of John 15 is is a great read. And the, there's so much in there. Actually, I'll say John 14 and 15. There is a lot of repetition in what is said but John 15 9 states it very plainly just as the father has loved me i have also loved you and then he commands us abide in my love why well 1 john 4 yeah let's let's go to 1 john 4 17 through 13 or 7 through 13 excuse me You're there? Good. We were faster than me on that one. This beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for Here's the key. Here's the key. God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation that is covering for our sins. Beloved, if God loved, so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because, because he has given us of his spirit. So as we we read there, and there's there's a lot in there, but I just want to point out, as as we did, God is love. But then, if we, if you would please, turn to First Corinthians. Um, we're going to look at chapter thirteen, verses four through seven, and then the first three words of verse eight. All right, God is love, so what are his characteristics and attributes? right? This is key for all of us. Love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Love does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in righteousness. But rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And then again, this is also some of the characteristics, nature, and attributes of the Lord. Verse 8, or the first three words of verse 8 love never fails. So that's the first thing. Abide in the Lord, right? Abide in his love because it never fails. The second thing that we must focus on and walk in is faith. Romans 1.17, if you could please turn there. tells us that for in it that is the word or the gospel depending on your translation from the the previous verse verse sixteen for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, but as it is written or as it is written but the righteous man shall live by faith and this the same Straight requirement command is given in Galatians three eleven and in Hebrews ten thirty eight. But how do how do we walk in that? How do we walk in righteousness? It comes as a result of willingness and obedience. As we see in Isaiah one nineteen, we're told if you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. Now, how does that pertain to our our works and what we're called to do? All right? Because we can look at scripture and it says, well, you have faith and I have works, right? But then it says, I'll show you my faith by my works. And we, we've had a discussion here recently where everyone can see obedience, it's difficult to see willingness if you will no one can really see how willing somebody is to do or not do something but you can see the results the fruit of that willingness because it manifests itself in obedience and because we love the lord we should be obedient to what he directs us if if we are truly Put him in his place, which is he is God, and we, if we are truly his people, then we should be listening and doing exactly what he tells us to do, just like we see in Christ. And but then there's the I'll say the the flip side of that, which is if we are disobedient, the Lord's perspective on it is that we have broken faith. Right. Now Let's all turn to Romans 8, because I, I'm going to say this, and I don't want to downplay the seriousness of sin. It does separate us from the Lord, right? Romans 8, one. really, I think on your own time, if you have the opportunity, read the first Romans 8, 1 through 16. It's an incredible reading. There's so much in there. For the purposes of this message and for time, I'm just going to focus on the first verse. Romans 8 1 says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Well, that brings us right back to the first thing love, abiding in Him. Right? And if we look at John 15 and 14, or John 14 and 15. That's the whole thing, is about abiding with the Father. And if you welcome us and you abide in my love, then we'll make our abode with you, right? Okay. Brings us right back to to love and in faith, right? Now, we have no condemnation as as it pertains to this in the sin aspect. Those that are in Christ Jesus have an advocate with the Father. So our role then in faith. Or I shall, I'll look at it in this way. In Proverbs 28, 13, it says, He who conceals his sin will not succeed, but he who confesses and abandons them will gain mercy because of that advocate that we have with the Father, because Jesus, in the Lord's perfect will and timing and his obedience, because of his love for the Father, endured and died on the cross for our sins. so that we could have eternal life with Him. Now, as it pertains to faith, we're also told to build yourself up in the faith. That means share and, uh, excuse me, not share, but stand, or have faith that what the Lord has said is done. All right now, we we literally have been discussing this this year. There was a teaching on love, and just last month excuse me our last prayer and worship service we were told to take communion the lord instructed us to take communion to remind us that it's done that about not just what the lord did and as far as his atoning work or being a propitiation for our sins as a sacrificial lamb on the cross But that everything he said in his word is true to remind ourselves or build ourselves up in in our most holy faith, right? How do we know it's done? Look throughout scripture. Look throughout Jesus' ministry. How many times did the Lord have to cast something out of someone? And by something I mean a, a demon out of someone more than once. there isn't one there is no time he spoke it it was done just like we see in genesis also he doesn't have to die on the cross a second time for your sins it's already done you have to receive what he did in faith faith is key hebrews 11:6 tells us actually everyone would turn there please hebrews 11:6 It says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him, that is, God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. And some, some versions say, those who diligently seek him. Diligently. That means all the time. That's the standing in. If we are focused on him, then we'll constantly, then we will remain in his timing, in his perfect will, which also constitutes his timing. But then, because we love him and are willing to do what he says, we will remain in obedience. Because if we're constantly in his presence, there is no time, room, opportunity for the enemy to come in. If we just remain focused on the Lord. To say what he says to say and to do what he says to do. So with those things, love and faith, right, and, and in standing, there is the other aspect of how we stand, or and by stand also delineates or dictates to fight, that there is resistance that must occur, and again we. Uh, the beginning of this message, or earlier on in this message, there are lots of things in the world, right, that are contrary to the Lord and what he said, that are in opposition. We went over that. Where justice and righteousness are, wickedness was also found in the same place. There's no difference today. There's nothing new under the sun. But how do we combat that? Please turn to Ephesians 6. Uh, and actually, it's going to be Ephesians 6, verse. We're going to begin in verse 10. So in Ephesians 6:10 through 17 it goes over the armor of God. But I specifically want to highlight verse 12, verses 12 and 13. It says for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And then in verse 13, it says, therefore take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. And I find this really interesting because we're told to put on all this armor. We're first instructed, hey, this is why we have to do it, to put on the armor. We are in a battle. There is warfare that is happening. And that's part of the standing, right? Even in the garden, Adam and woman, later to be called Eve, their job was to guard, right? To tend the garden, to keep it, to make sure it remained as it was supposed to, as the Lord intended for it to be. They were suitable for their purpose to do that. They were to rule over it, right? And to subdue it. Uh, I'll let you look up the, the definition of definition of subdue on your own time. But why are we to put on the armor? All right. All right, verse 12 yes it says to wage warfare, but then verse 18 gives us the key on how that's done. And it begins with all prayer and petition. And then he says, "Pray at all times" in the spirit, and with this in view. Be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. All of the armor was there, and we are to wear it and put it on and keep it on. Not to take it off and put it on, but remain with it on. We are in a place of battle. It's happening all around us. No one takes off their armor in the middle of, of the fight. Even when you think it's safe, right? If you're not behind your own, I'll say gates or your own fortress or whatever the case is. And even if you are, any combat veteran will tell you there is a possibility for attack. So even if you're within your base, your fortress, your camp, whatever it is, it's all still close by. It's easily accessible. Right? Okay. Why well, take it off then? Just keep it on. So we're ready, right? Isn't that what we're told here? All prayer and petition, being on the alert and with all perseverance, right? Okay, so we're instructed to pray, which is the final thing. We're to stand in prayer. And this is a, a constant command in first Thessalonians five fifteen through eighteen. If you could, please turn there. Because this goes along with everything that we have been discussing up to this point. Just give me an amen when you get there. All right, it says, See to it that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. Verse 16, rejoice always. Verse 17, pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Apostle Paul, when he wrote this, includes prayer in Christian conduct and as a part of God's will. And you see that pattern example in Christ. How many times is it saying he, he went away to pray and he got up early to pray. and He was constantly in prayer. And he would not go anywhere or do anything or say anything until he had prayed and sought the Father to know exactly what to say and what to do. So, which is important. It is it is key because right early on we talked about, hey, are we called to go march down the street and to protest and do all these other things about what's happening? Well, that's between, well, that's up to the Lord, is what I'll, how I'll phrase that. There may be a time he, he calls you, and not just you, but others, to stand and to go do that. But the battle's first done by, or through prayer, which is important. That's how strongholds are brought down. Again, it's not against flesh and blood. So we as Christians, as believers, should not be approaching things through natural means or with what our natural eyes see, but getting the direction, the command of what to say and what to do from and through our from our Heavenly Father through His Holy Spirit. All right? And... and It's important because, as James says it in this way, the fervent, effective prayer of the righteous can accomplish much. That's exactly what we were talking about with the Lord, right? He only prayed or said, as we should, what the Father says to say or do over any situation. But then also Philippians 4, 6, and 7 tells us this. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. There is the, the, the fervent effect of prayer of the righteous is simply saying what the Father said to say. If we're doing that, it should be because we believe what the Father said. If we're not praying or saying that, what the Father said to say or doing what the Father said to do, isn't that sin? That, that's not operating in faith. Right? The prayer offered in faith is simply do, saying what the Father said to say. That's it. And then because we're saying what the Father said to, to say, we should be joyful. We should have Thanksgiving. Right? Now, now, prayer is, it is, I'll say, the a key, and it's the third thing that we're going to cover, or that we've covered here. It is not the only thing, right? Because the Lord may direct us to bind and to loose and, and all those other things, right? But we first get those instructions through our relationship with Him, through prayer, which is how we communicate with our Heavenly Father. Through his Holy Spirit. It is vital that we I'll say live this out. Operate in love or walk in love in faith and in prayer at all times. And I say that because it's time. It is time to stand. It is time to fight for the Lord. He's constantly, you can look throughout scriptures, he's constantly telling us, I looked for one person to stand in the gap. And many times he says, I found no one. So let's be the people, the generation that stands in the gap, that the Lord abides in, that the love of God is manifest in and shines out through his people, that live and, and walk in faith, and are constantly in prayer, constant communion and fellowship and communication with our Heavenly Father. Amen? Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to A Day of Prayer. We trust the Lord that you are strengthened and encouraged in your relationship with Christ.